So it was through trial and error and massive failure that I learned this. Welcome back to All In. I am your host, Rick Jordan, and my guest today, amazing Chris Bradley. What's shaking, Chris? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm amazing. You know what? I've said this before the show. I'm blown away because you're singer, songwriter. You're now, you have a coach or a class, right? Produced like a boss. Yes. That's killer. I saw this 250K in revenue just launching in November. That's insane. Actually, it's about a hundred more than that by the end of the year. I think I, I think we were in the middle of a launch when I emailed you. Yeah, we closed out the the year for the first year uh, over three fifty. That's amazing. That's so cool. Congratulations! Thank you so much. It's been such a blessing. I absolutely love it. I if you would have told me just a couple of years ago that I would uh, fall in love with teaching, I don't think I could have predicted it. Um, I always kind of knew that I was a teacher and that I liked to teach, but I kind of had a limited, you know, escape of what that looked like. You know, I was like, oh, I would never teach like in a school. And so when I found the ability to do online courses, I was like, oh my gosh! And then you know, the impact you can make just being digital is insane. So I love it. Yeah. Oh, it is insane. Yeah, for sure. That world's just opened up possibilities to everybody yeah. now. I mean, even churches, right? Because, it, you know, forced to go online now. And I have a friend who's a pastor. He was just on for our Christmas episode too. And, you know, they've got a 500 person congregation, but then their Easter video last year, like the first virtual one they did after the pandemic hit, they had like over 10,000 views. And like their right. first YouTube video is like, oh my gosh, we're reaching China everywhere else. I'm like, yeah, you don't have 500 <laughs> people anymore, man. It's, you've got right. the whole world, bro. It's awesome. I'm excited. So your music, when did you start as a musician? I see 15. Is that about right? Um, well, 15 is when I when I left the house, actually. And so that's when I started pursuing it, I guess, in a different way. But I've been playing music ever since I was little. Um, I'm, we, I was raised uh, with my great grandmother in the house for the first eight years. My mom had me pretty young. So we had my we would live with my great grandma until I was eight. And I grew up singing and playing the piano and putting on shows in the living room and, you know, doing like the musicals and the 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 jazz standards and the big band and stuff like that. So uh, my grandma says that even when I was very, very small, like before I knew what harmony was, I, I was harmonizing, you know, before I knew it, like really new notes. I only knew a few notes. I could hear wind chimes and I would go, that's a D or that's a C, you know, (laughs) you could, you could hear the pitch. That's awesome. When I was a child. Yeah. It's more relative now than perfect, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. My daughter and my youngest son are that way too, you know, and even playing guitar myself, you know, you can just hear it in the song. It's like, oh, I know what key they're playing. And then that's a D chord that he's strumming right now. Right. Is, Is that a Gretsch behind you? I can't see the headstock. Yes, it is. Oh, I love it. <laughs> awesome. You, you know what threw me with that, though? With the whole, like, because that's how, when I say relative pitch, like, that's how I would memorize, like, songs or, or I would hear keys. I'd be like, oh, like, Sweet Home Alabama is D. And like, oh, like E minor is like, you know, Unforgiven Metallica. And so, but then I, then after singing and doing all these shows, I ended up having to tune my guitar down a half step. And then it threw me off because I got so used to hearing those songs in that new tuning. And so I'm not quite as sharp with it as I used to be, but still got a pretty good ear. Oh, for sure. <laughs> a lot of music is relative too, because you're, you're talking about the different chord progressions and it depends of course, because you had a drop, you said you dropped on a half a step on your guitar. 
Yeah. Most of the yeah, time. Especially after, yeah. Especially living in Nashville where you're just playing so many gigs. Oh you my get God, used yeah. to just going, you know what? I'm going to take this half step down. <laughs> <laughs> that's the case. You talk about Metallica. It's funny because that's how I learned to play was to Metallica. I mean, just, you know, power yeah. chords and teaching myself. And I got a chord book. And, but then I noticed when I started seeing their live videos, it's like, that sounds a lot lower, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know he, right? he's not really like up in the high registers like he usually is. And then, I mean, I'm only 12 <laughs> or 13 years old at this point, but then I realize, you know, cause I'm still going through puberty at that moment. It's like, but then when your voice settles <laughs> as a dude, it's like, oh, now I get it because you can't sing for three hours straight <laughs> if you keep going up in the scream zone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's so fun. Awesome. So you played in Nashville for a while, you were saying, right? I did. I actually just moved. Um, I didn't really do the Broadway circuit. I I, kind of went to Nashville more for the songwriter. You know, I was doing the the writer's rounds a lot. And then even when I would take cover gigs, for example, I would do them just about an hour outside of town because you can make more money. I mean, well, more money up front, that is not to say you can't clean house on the streets of Broadway, you know, but it is really um, dependent on how many people are there. So if you have a slow night, you're leaving with 40 bucks. But I would find places outside of town that would just pay me really great upfront money and also wouldn't insist on me playing. Like, I swear to God, Rick, if I ever have to play Hotel California again, <laughs> uh, you know, and there was none of that. They kind of let me yeah. make my own rules, you know, yeah. so I'd go an hour outside of town, make a little more money and it'd be more mellow, too. It wasn't like the craziness, and the honky tonks of Broadway. So that was more my speed when I was there. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's your death song now, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe like Hotel California. Nope. Nope. I got $10. Nope. Nope. 20. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> the, you, you know, the movie Wayne's world. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like they go into guitar center, like no stairway to heaven, which exactly. is funny because a cover band, Led Zeppelin cover band or a tribute <laughs> band. Is that your gig? Is that, am I reading that right? Oh. Gosh, yes. I have done everything from these these bar gigs to these writer's rounds to I actually fronted an all-female tribute to Led Zeppelin called Les Zeppelin. Les? That's okay. <laughs> yeah. We played in India and then we did, it was it was an interesting tour. We started it in India, then came back to the States and then did a like complete United States tour. I wanted like 43 states or something wow. like that. I really truly lost count, but it was amazing. Yeah. On a bus? Yeah. Like on a really sweet bus. Like nice. I guess like Will Will Smith had the bus before us, I was told. Whoa. It was one of those buses that you would park and it would go, and the doors would come out and it would expand. I was like, this is the most rock star life I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had writers and everything. It, it was really something out of this world, though, you know, to step into a project that was so fully formed already and had that following. And yeah. Yeah. Super fun experience, but it definitely, I mean, the only reason it ended is because I didn't want to relocate to New York and like say, this is life now. It was fun to do. I'm a huge Zeppelin fan, but I wasn't ready to go. Okay. But this is, this is my number one job in music. I just knew that wasn't the best fit for me. Yeah, for sure. You, You start to pick that up along the way too, because I mean, those schedules are just grueling. Oh yeah. I mean, I think playing in Nashville wore me out. Imagine if I was still singing Robert Plant songs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Robert, I've moved on. Yes. You know, you know, well, I mean, like even he didn't have his voice past the first, like the best Zeppelin yeah. records as far as like his uh, vocal range are really just the first couple. For he sure. Lost, you know, I still love them, but he kind of lost it after that. So. Yeah, that's a lot of them. Same with like Steven Tyler, anybody from that era, really, oh, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you look totally. back and dream on and it's like, you know, I remember when he was a, a, when Steven Tyler was a judge on American Idol, you know, and he did just a portion of dream on. 
on that, you know, and it's like, that's cool. He still got it. But when he went to scream, you know, on yeah. the bridge, because it was such an abbreviated version of the song, it's like he kind of had to slide into it a little bit. And those that are musicians that are listening understand this, you know, because you're, yeah. you're like hunting for the notes. <laughs> Your voice is just trashed. You know? just kind of like reaching up. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. He got there, which is great. You know, that's fantastic. But that's why oh. you tuned down a half step. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Full circle. And that's why we tuned down a half step, yep. guys. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, losing the voice, a small price to pay to the rock gods, right? Oh my God, yes, for sure. <laughs> but talk about when you were 15. So I saw that on here. You were on your own then. That's what is listed here, right? Yes. You were on your own since you were 15. Tell me about that. What does that mean on your own? Well, I mean, we didn't do what's it called when you do it legally. Emancipation. Is that what it's called? Um, we didn't do anything like that, but it was this very agreeable, like my mother was, like I said, she had me really young. So I think about it now and it's like, okay, she was 16 when she had me, which means when I was 15, she was 31. And I'm like, well, could I have handled me at 31? So, I mean, I take responsibility for my part. Um, uh, but my mother was also just going through her own thing. And like, I, I had matured so much. We kind of grew up together. When a 16 year old has a kid, you grow up together. So I, I don't, I, it's no way to knock my mother by any means. Like we were both like, no, we can't do this anymore. And she knew I was independent. I was like, I'm on like, bye, bye, you know? And I, and I, and I left and I just started working full time. You know, I happened to be uh, dating a guy whose mother worked in a temp agency and I happened to type like 111 words a minute. I had just taken like this legal secretary course. So it's strange because my my first few jobs were very odd out, out of the house. It was like working for like a legal form, uh, firm as a legal secretary or being an administrative assistant or some less honest things, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, I was just, you know, I kind of slipped into... I, it felt like survival mode at home, even to be honest at that point. So nothing much changed. It was just like, now I don't have to deal with my, with my parents. Yeah. And so it was the, be the best thing that could have happened. Sure. What were those first couple of years like? I mean, cause here you are, you're responsible for yourself financially. You're responsible for yourself legally. I mean, I even think of the logistics of it because at that age, you can't even sign a contract technically in most States, you know, how, how does that happen? Yeah. Or sign, you know, or rent an apartment, sign the actual lease for the apartment. You can't even do that mm -hmm. for, you know, legally. But <laughs> totally. Totally. So when I got, I got asked to leave at 15, I short, I short, I turned 16, like quickly after. So I was able to work legally. And then um, I was able to rent rooms. I just, I've always like been kind of a little bit mature for my age. So I was able at 16 year olds, uh, 16 years old to really present myself. I had a full-time job, you know, I was administrative assistant and I'd come and I'd schmooze, you know, be like, hi, I'm Chris. I'm so professional, you know? And then, and by the way, I'm 16, but don't worry, I've got the money. Like, like here's a couple months up front, you know, and I got people to rent me rooms, to be honest. And then um, actually at 17, my mom and I started talking again and she, we decided it was still the best thing. And she actually co-signed for me to get an apartment that I would be financially responsible for, which I was. And um, that's how I got into my first apartment was actually my own mom. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. I have a similar story because my dad died when I was 16, you know, so it was almost kind of like when I was on my own because my mom was working and I remember, you know, thinking, oh, I've got the money, you know, because I was working as a manager at McDonald's of all places. You were the administrative assistant. I was the manager at McDonald's when I was 16. Yeah, you know, I couldn't even have an alarm code because of insurance purposes. I wasn't 18. And it's like, I need, I, I need a car. I need to drive to work. So, but then I go shopping for a car at a dealership. 
you know, and they're saying, well, you can't buy this. You know, you can't, you can't, you're only 16 years old. So then it was like, my mom came in to buy my first car to co-sign for me when I was just 16. You know, similar scenario, but you just, the point is that you just figure out ways to make it work. And it's cool because your mom and you, it sounds like you didn't really, you know, like separate, you were friends and you were like for each other through this portion of life, right? Because you grew up together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we still, we still kind of like, you know, cause she, she raised me to be uh, scrappy and she's scrappy and she raised me to be an independent thinker and she's an independent thinker. And then she doesn't understand when I don't listen to everything she says. I'm like, <laughs> mom, you did this to me. I'm you. <laughs> Literally. I'm just, you know, d- different views. So, but yes, it, it is, it's really wonderful how it turned out. It was the best thing that could have happened. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know? That's so fun. So after you did the the Les Zeppelin gig, <laughs> is is that when you sort of? I mean, how did you end up getting getting to California? You know, because you were in Nashville for a while, right? Mm, yeah, I'm from California originally. Oh. I moved to Nashville for five years, and I just got back a couple months ago. So it's just like coming home. So I I was born here. I was actually born in North Hollywood. Oh wow, that's fun. Awesome. What's the opportunity like there? Because I mean, Nashville's country music, you know, and it's pretty much the music capital of the whole US, unless you're talking about pop, you know, because then you're looking at LA, everything else. What's the differences there for the industry? Because I, I, I know the geography where you're planted matters, especially in the entertainment industry. You know, so what made you move back to LA versus being in Nashville if the things were going okay for you there? Yeah. So a couple of things that I've noticed about LA, uh, is that it's very spread out. There's not as much community and that it, it tended to be a better place to showcase, for example, rather than to try and build a tribe, right? In Nashville, it's like, you've got all these little like mom and pop, like, you know, you got pub houses, you got bars, you know, you got restaurants, you got like so much community of just songwriters. It's like, you know, you just walk into town. It's like, there's people walking around with guitars. They're grabbing coffees. They're writing songs. Hey, I got a meeting at 10 and then I got to write it too. And then I got a meeting with a pub. I'm going to see BMI at nine. I mean, that's all the language and the culture of Nashville. And like LA is just everything so far apart, you know? And it's like all these little separate kind of clicky things where I just never really found a home. And I always like to say, but I've kind of like this, like, redheaded stepchild between Nashville and uh, in LA, because when I was in LA, people be like, you'd be really good with country. You kind of have this country thing, which I was like, oh, okay. And I get to Nashville and they're like, oh, honey, you ain't country. Oh, okay. And then now I'm totally out the box and I'm like, well, okay. So I, I went to Nashville for the songwriting community and for that network. It's totally different. Like you'll, you just run into hit writers everywhere. I got to, I got to write with some hit writers, which was one of my bucket list things to do in Nashville. And then, you know, I got a couple wins, you know, being there. I got some cuts with other artists. That was really my focus. I didn't actually want to pursue anything or fame as an artist myself. I wanted to get a song cut by other artists and, um, you know, Got a couple wins, got featured in uh, one of my songs in Rolling Stone magazine, one of my songs in uh, Music Row magazine. Um, And just like, you know, I was noticing that this stuff was like more like street cred than anything, but I still wasn't like really able to pay my bills like comfortably. And I'm like, wow, like if this and not only that, I was chasing a number one. I started to meet people that had number ones that had the hit songs. And I was like, so how's it going for you? And they're like, "Uh, I need to learn what you're doing, which is producing and recording because I was making money as a session singer. They're like, my pub deal's only paying this or I can't get my pub deal renewed. I'm like, didn't you just write like for so-and-so's last single? And they're like, yep. And I'm like, wait a second, this is my dream. So so then that's when I learned how to produce. And that's how this company produced like a boss kind of came about. Um, But 
to answer your question, the reason I came home is because once I realized, like once I started producing and I started doing everything remotely and I was no longer chasing the industry standard of like, oh, you moved to Nashville, become a hit songwriter in that network. And I really went into the web. I was like, where can I get work? Where can I make a living as a musician? And I was like, oh, people will pay me to sing songs and to record music. And so I've done any, everything from jingles to film and TV placements, to custom songwriting, to kids songs, to podcasts, you know, like I've done all these different things as a result of learning how to record. And I got really on fire about that, started making a, a nice living doing that. And then it was like, at that point, the next step was I need to turn around and help my friends that were in the same boat. They're super, you know, they're talented. They moved here chasing a dream. And it just turns out that whether that dream comes or not, that they need to have some financial financial security. So I started teaching people how to do this and then kind of turned it into a business. And then I realized, well, heck, I can really be anywhere. I don't need to be in Nashville anymore. Right. Number one. And number two, I noticed that certain clients I had as a producer would go, oh, but you know what? You're too country before even hearing anything from me. And I was like, where are they getting this country thing from? And it was because I had Nashville on my profile. So it's a two-sided question. One was I wanted to get home and be back to the beach. And the other was it didn't fit my brand or my company and what I do. So just coming back to California for me was like coming back home. Yeah. That's intriguing. Cause you're talking about your friends, you know, who are chasing the dream and you have the dream of being a writer. There's also people that have the dreams of being the artist. You know, what really is that dream look like? Because there's so many people that have that, but yet at the same time, it's like, there's so few that actually attain that. And like you're saying, cause I, I mean, I know people from Nashville too. I don't really know people from the, the West coast music culture, but when I, I talk with them and I, I know people that have written hit songs, number one songs, and it's, they're struggling, you know, from a financial perspective. And it's hard to see. It's a, you know, everybody around them keeps beating them down saying, when are you going to get a real job? You know, it's, but then there's those that are saying, Hey, keep chasing your dream, but they never really learned the business of music. You know, they're that's just, it right there. Yeah, they're just doing the, the the stuff. They're just trying to do what they feel is creative and everything. But there's this whole other side of things. Where, where was that wake up moment for you? It's where you're like, oh man, I, I need to make money at this. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and really, it's when I started talking to people that had the success that I wanted because I think in my mind, especially it, just letting it be this kind of elusive like thing, where it's like, oh, when I'm a hit songwriter, everything will be okay, and not actually unveiling, like pulling the curtain up and going, what does that look like? How many spins would I need to get? How many cuts would I need to get to make the income I want to make? You know. And when I did that, it, it was a big like wake up call, and that's what kind of got me thinking. Okay, I can do this session work from home. I was already doing it. I learned how to produce, honestly out of necessity because I was paying to have my songs demoed to pitch them to other artists. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I was like, I better learn how to do this so that I can save money, you know? And that's, that's what started happening is I started getting paid for it. And then I started to really paying attention to the market. Like what were people willing to pay me for? And started asking different questions, right? Because I think as artists and musicians, they're the only people that are in business that don't know they're in business. Like they don't know they're entrepreneurs. And I'm like, Hey friend, I'm like, if you want someone to pay you for something that you made, you're an entrepreneur. Okay. And there's got to be a little bit of service in there. It doesn't, you know, when you show up and you do whatever you want to do, that's called working for you. And as my mentor, my production mentor says, and if you're working for yourself, you better be a high paying client. Right. But otherwise there is something called market research and learning how to serve an audience. And, and that's what I've been drawn to, you know, rather than going, I'm going to keep making this stuff and going, instead of going, why won't people pay me for this? Oh, I said, what does the market need? And I found jobs and I filled that need. 
And that, you know, hence comes all these really interesting Swiss army knife jobs that I've had as a singer, songwriter and producer. Yeah, for sure. What's the biggest piece of advice you could give to your friends these days? I mean, because you sound like the one that would go because you seem compassionate, really compassionate. <laughs> Just having your friends, it's like I can I, I can help you. You know, what's the one thing that you think would would help anybody out there who's chasing this dream and just going up against walls? Yeah. And it's not to give up the dream by any big, uh, by any means. But I, I say, listen, it's not Beyonce big or broke. You do not have to suffer for your art. First of all, that's a limiting belief that that's just being, that's just there. Let's just get that out of the way. Cause a lot of people think it's like zero or hero. And it's like there, you know, you can keep going for that big cut. You can still keep chasing your dream, but Hey, let me show you how to not have to work at the local restaurant as a bartender or not have to work four hour bar gigs or what, Hey, hello, pandemic. You don't have any work. Let me show you something you can do from your home in pajama pants. I'm not even wearing real pants right now. I'm going to be real with you. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I should do no, that just so for the fun of it. I mean, I, it's jeans, right? But hey. Right. But you know That's, what I mean? Like, let, yeah. let, let me, like, I, I love teaching people about this because they, it's such an untapped, like, thing that people don't, they don't know it's even out there. And then when my students tell me that, that they listen and they're like, oh, I did what you said. I set up my profiles and, you know, there's online marketplaces where people don't have to be the savviest. They don't have to build a business. You know, you can hop on a moving train. There are websites out there that you can sign up as a session singer. You can sign up as a producer, mix engineer, and they will get you work and they'll take a booking fee. And it's totally worth it because they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. Like, so I'm just, I love, that's how I would help people um, is to let their plan B support their plan A rather than, oh, I'm working my ass off to try and support this dream and it's killing me. Yeah, no kidding. And incomes produce like a boss exactly for that hey. reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Because it, it sounds like such an amazing program. I mean, to the point to where I wouldn't even want to check it out, you know, just because it sounds fun and it just it would be a hobby for me more than a business. But if it can help, I mean, look at you, look at what it's done for you. And you, you saw this. It's amazing to me because you saw this and you just shifted. You, I, I hate the word pivot, but it actually legitimately applies here because people like to throw that around as a cliche, <laughs> you know, especially after 2020. It's like, oh, you need to pivot. Keep your business going. You need to pivot. If I heard pivot or we're all in this together one more time, oh my God. <laughs> Did you ever watch Friends? Oh yeah. I watched Remember it last night. Yep. Remember the episode? Oh, okay. Okay. Seriously. Love that. Remember the episode with Ross where he's like, pivot. <laughs> with the couch. Pivot yeah. with the couch. That's what I think of. That's what I think of when I hear pivot. Love it. Oh my gosh. That's the same thing. I'm like, this isn't Ross, you know, that's like taking control of 2020 or something like that. And then there's Rachel at the top and she's like, oh, I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> I think that's most of us for 2020, right? I'm just going to let the couch go. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Funny. So produce like a boss. Tell me about that. Cause I mean, we've got the context around it now, which is awesome. But, but how did you decide I'm going to even like launch this thing? Because you've done it for yourself. When you're like, where was that moment to where you're like, hey, I'm going to do this now for everybody else? Yeah, it was just a couple stepping stones. Uh, honestly, I was like, you know, I keep teaching people the same thing in person at my home studio. Maybe I should shoot a couple videos. And then that turned into, hmm, I notice a lot of producers use videos of like tutorial videos to build brand awareness, which will give them more clients as a as a producer. I thought, oh, I wonder if that would be a good form of marketing. And, you know, kind of two birds, one stone. Like I can help some of my friends and I can also use it to promote. And then I'm just having coffee with a friend slash publisher in Nashville. And he goes, Oh, you need to read the book launch by Jeff Walker. And he goes, and I would just create a course. He goes, I'll email on your behalf. I'll be an affiliate for you and, and, you know, help you as much as I can. And I went, 
Oh, and I remember thinking, gosh, that's a lot of work, you know, creating curriculum and all that. It seemed very overwhelming, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I I feel like where I got really lucky, because now that I'm in this entrepreneurial world, I I see so many people, they're like looking for what their avatar customer is and trying to find their unique value proposition. And I got so lucky because I just made this for 29, you know, 28 year old Chris, like I made it for me. And and I thought there's got to be people out there like, like me, singer songwriters, because, oh, here's the premise of produce like a boss. I simplify the hell out of complex things, i.e. music production. Right. So when people try to teach this, they, they tend to get really techie with their talk and I call it techno babble. Oh my God, they do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, and I never got like, it was so frustrating for me to try and learn this skill because as a singer songwriter, I'm not wired that way. Yeah. So it was through trial and error and massive <laughs> failure that I learned this. I, I know we were talking about the story and I'm like, yeah, so I learned how to produce. Yeah. That by the way was hell. Okay. And so, and I remember just asking questions that for years never got answered because people seem to, at least the people I was going to seem to like to hear themselves talk more than actually teach and try to see if I could understand. So as it became more clear for me, because that's what happens is you struggle with things, right? And then you get clarity, right? And I think it maybe makes you a better teacher. So I got so lucky in that the way that I teach, I just talk to literally eight years ago, me, and I say it the way I needed to hear it. And it turns out that I have a tribe of people that are like, oh my God, thank God. I want to learn how to do this, but I'm so intimidated. That's you awesome. Know? And I'm so scared. And, and so, well, today and we're going to talk about the seven band parametric EQ. Yeah, and we're going to exactly. take a look at 250 hertz and stay tuned next week for yeah. attack and release on your compressor. Yeah. 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 And so, and that's what, you know, I thought, how can I make this in a way that somebody can get their ideas out of their head, have it sound good. And, you know, there's no one size fits all when you're making music, you know, presets are great, but like, what, what can I do to make it easy? But like, you know, make it thorough. And so I created a program. So my company is called produce like a boss, but my flagship program is called from voice memo to demo. Hey, because we all take our voice memos, you know, yeah, on our phone. Do. That's how we get our song ideas <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So I from still voice... have some from like seven, eight years ago on my phone, some songs <laughs> so... that I sang. Yeah. <laughs> so it's called from voice memo to demo. And it's just like this whole kind of 101 walkthrough masterclass of how to produce a song from top to bottom. I even take a voice memo on my phone. That's just me playing guitar, not to a click or anything. And I pull it into my software program to show them like, here's where we're going to start. And then I give them everything. And rather than doing deep dives on things like compression and EQ, I give them just what they need and nothing that they don't. Good. So you don't need to, cause here's the thing. When you learn how to produce, it's already so much. You've got the multi-tracking, you've got the balancing, the mixing. How do I gain stage? So many things coming at you that if now I tell you, you need to fully understand compression or you need to fully understand EQ, you're going to give up because that's too much. That's like trying to learn five languages at once. Yep, right. Yep. So I, uh, so I just break it down. I'm breaking down. I make love it easy. It. And then mastering <laughs> too is a whole nother world. Do you even get it? Do you get into that in your program? I do. I do. And I call it the songwriter's master. And then I even bring in my, um, that's what I teach them how to do in logic uh, using the stock plugins. Cause I also keep it stock <clears throat> so they don't have to spend extra money. But then I have a bonus video with my friend, Mike Gennato from Lander Mastering. And I actually have him go into a deeper dive so they can learn how to really beef up and like kind of get that polished, also get the volume that they need to be competitive and and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I know that's a tough part too, especially when it comes to mastering because you've got the demos and I've heard them, you know, and they sound so quiet and you have to try to crank them up because where are people listening to, to them? That's probably, do you go through that too? Because I mean, it's the same thing like we do in, in tech, right? It's like, listen, th- this device right here, 
this is what everybody consumes any kind of information on now, whether it's a podcast, whether it's Facebook, whether it's a song, whatever it is, this is where it has to sound good now. Right, right. That's and incredible. so you've got all these different references that you have to, to listen on just to, to make sure that it sounds good. You know, yeah. I type in the car, listen on my phone, listen to my headphones, listen on my speakers. No doubt. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the simplicity of it too, because that's, uh, I think a lot, or actually I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you into a question because I, th I, I have an opinion on the question too, but I think a lot get caught up in the complexity, right? And they get scared mm -hmm. of it and that's why they don't jump into it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, they're, they're overwhelmed and intimidated. And, and also, you know, there's, there's, there's a, I'd like to say, I'm trying to bridge the gap. There's a whole bunch of producers and techie people over here going, yeah, no, no, no. You're a singer songwriter. You stay over there. This isn't your digital playground to come play in. And I feel like I'm coming in like the, like the school teacher, like, not like, like trying to be like, you let them come in. They want to play too, you know, and, and trying to make it less scary. But then there's also the other side of it where, and, and I talk about this when it comes down to procrastination is like people make things bigger than they are because they're being, I don't know where I got this from, but I can't get it out of my head. So I always say it. Perfectionism is procrastination disguised as productivity. Right. Whoa, hey. So, hey. Right. So like when somebody's like, oh, you know, I'm going to start. I just I don't have the right gear yet. I'm like, what do you have? Well, you know, I have an interface and I have a computer and I got this cheap mic and it's like, eh, 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 stop it. Do, would you say that you needed to drive a Benzo for your first car? Because that's what you're telling me right now. You know what that is? That's you creating. Oh, when it's perfect. When I, when I, one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to, I'm yeah, like, you need to stop. Yeah. And I'm able to share my story of how I was able to monetize this skill with very minimal gear, even though I might have nicer gear now, which is a choice, not a necessity. Yeah. Right on. I love you know? that. I mean, even the podcast, right? It's like you and I have the same mic. I see that we got the SM7B and we know what we're doing with the gear side of it. But you know, I started the show with a freaking blue Yeti, you know, two yeah. years, two years ago, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's perfection. I love your phrase. And another way I've heard it before is, you know, it's perfection versus progress. Which one do you right. want? You want to right. be stalled into something that you're never going to accomplish just because you think all the ducks need to be in a row first? Or do you want to just like dive into it and see what happens? And then all of a sudden you got $350,000 in two months. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of like ready, fire, aim. And, and, and that's simply because I did that for so many years, Rick. Like I, when I wanted to produce, I mean, when I say it was hell, I mean, between me just giving up so many times and going, I'm so frustrated, I can't do this. There was also me going, oh, I don't have the gear or, oh, I've got logic, but I don't have, I only have stock sounds. So my music's not going to sound good until I, I can afford like the virtual instruments that cost thousands of dollars. So I think I'd, that I should start there. If that's like trying to run before you can walk, you know, or crawl. So I feel like it's another thing where I get to just insert myself. Like who was I when I was in this place? And then I get to come in there and go, like, get out of there. Like, you know, come on. <laughs> That's great. All right. So I mean, that was so much love, so much love. That's like know, a right? loving. <laughs> that was fantastic. My, my, my brain goes to, you know, cause I have kids and my brain, go, but let's be serious. I watched Disney movies even before I had kids. Okay. <laughs> You know, whatever this wasn't, but it's uh Jack Black, you know, cause he's freaking hilarious anyways, but Kung Fu Panda, you know, that you're like, yeah. but he's like skidoosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Let's, uh, let's go into one final segment today. Cool. I am. Yeah. I'm curious because you're at the heart of this industry right now. And it's awesome to have somebody who's got just this, this track and this perspective last year, you know, with everything with COVID, the internet has completely changed the face of music. 
You know, actually just the music industry as a whole has changed because look at it, even Nashville we were talking about, granted they opened back up probably a lot faster than everybody else, but all of a sudden it's, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of entertainers just had nothing, zero. Yeah. And all the tours, let's even talk about big artists now, all, all of those where they make their money on these big tours and go on those 43 states <laughs> in the <laughs> rock star status buses and everything. It's like they don't have that right now. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are adapting and everything, but doing virtual shows and everything. What would you have to say to them right now? Because I mean, first, everybody needs to get produced like a boss, period. Right. But what's the what's the outlet now for them to still be able to put these creations into the world? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I remember like saying like, oh, you know, I do session work or, oh, I do this from my home studio. And people be like, oh, that's cute. Oh, that's cute. Like it wasn't a real thing. And I feel like now my phone is kind of constantly ringing with people that I I used to approach these people like you're so talented. You should you should try to get into this. You know, you can make a few hundred bucks a song, you know, da, 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 da. oh, no, they're, you know, they're over here. And now they're like, hey, how do I do that thing? So seriously, my my advice would be learn how to record. And there's so much you can do with that. Not because I'm trying to lead them to produce like a boss. Let's just take that off the, like whoever you learn from learning this skill is going to allow you to go digital. And, you know, we it, it does feel like a bit catastrophic, right? Like all these things are canceled, but look about like how we started, what we were talking about. It's like now all of a sudden you got 10,000 people on that church show. You know, I think about when I see Tony Robbins in front of his zoom screen oh, yeah. and I see all those people. Oh I think, yeah. That Man, was an amazing image. Yeah. Like think about how many people show up to the live event event. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. And it's, it's a bummer that that's gone right now, but it's like, now if you're online. You've got, it's limitless, yo. Like it's limitless. Look at this as an opportunity, but the only way you're going to be able to connect is in my opinion, through actually learning how to get your audio dialed in. Right. Because yeah, you could do it like live on your phone, but like, I, I don't feel that that's what's really going to connect. I feel like using the power of streaming and zoom online marketplaces. If you are a fantastic singer, there are people that will pay you to write songs. Oh my God, what a concept. <laughs> you don't have to go to Nashville and write. Some of us write like in Nashville, I was writing two to three songs a day, every day. And then we, it would be great songs. And when you get it, you know, you pitch it to a publisher and they're like, yeah, I'll take a copy of that. And then you never hear back again. It's like, those are all, I call it the hard drive graveyard songs that are just like, okay, well, I didn't write that for me. I wrote it to, you know, so you've got this talent that you're trying to monetize and now it's going to go die on your hard drive because one person said, no, no way. There is a world out there, a market out there where you can monetize your skills, whether you're a songwriter, a producer, or a singer, or a mix engineer, or a beat maker. There are beat makers, hip hop guys that make nothing but awesome. beats making six figures a year. No joke. No <laughs> That's joke. so fun. So fun. So I would just say that the, the possibilities are limitless. It feels like the end of the world. It feels catastrophic, but really it's just, if you're able to get out of the tunnel vision of this is the only way I can make money or be successful and just go back a bit. There's so much, so much opportunity. Oh, I love it. So everyone needs to follow Chris at Purdue. It looks on Instagram, like produce like a boss, right? Yes. That's it. Thank yep. You. That's awesome. And produce like a boss.com where you can pick this up. I think I'm even going to have some of my people go through it. No joke. Not even kidding because it's awesome. We just brought, uh, we used to do this at a producer's place, but now we brought everything in house for the show just about three months ago. And it's been a lot of fun, you know? Oh, <laughs> really nice. Good. Yeah. I mean, quality's notched up and everything, but it's cool because I think they're going to learn a lot from this too, my team. And produce like a boss.com. Chris Bradley, you're amazing. Really. Thank you. It's been fun just Thank having you. fun with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The feeling is mutual. I'm such a, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me. 
312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.